every day there's like a small change that's happening and then there's a big change that they see as a result mm. they see you in intervals of time versus every single day right Hey, and welcome to the Millennial Health Podcast. I'm Dr. J. Sheree Allen, a board-certified family physician who's passionate about the health of my fellow millennials. I know we're booked and busy, but your first wealth is your health. So I'm taking some of my most important health messages and bringing them here to you on this podcast. My goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health topics, but I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. So we are joined today on the Millennial Health Podcast by Dr. Charmaine Gregory, also known as Dr. G. Uh, She is a wife, she's a mom of three, and a burnout thriver. We're going to talk about that a little later. She's also an emergency medicine physician and a serial entrepreneur with a weekly podcast. She has a course on starting a podcast. She has done free services for podcasters, and she's a speaker and author of several books. Dr. G, welcome to Millennial Health. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. (laughs) This is going to be fun. So I brought you on Millennial Health today because I wanted to talk about being bold and making bold moves. I follow you on social media, and we're going to share all your links and everything so that everyone listening can also follow Dr. G and pick up a thing or two like I have. And I have really admired some of these brave decisions that you have made in your life recently. You know, we are here year two plus of this pandemic. And Mm. I think it's taught us many things. Oh my gosh. We could go through a list of things, but one of the main lessons is, you know, it's encouraged us to kind of live for today. Tomorrow Mm. is not promised. We've got to live our best lives right now. And you have decided to do just that by taking a really big move with your family. Could you share a little about that? Oh, yes. So we basically decided last October, my husband and I were sitting down and we were talking and he said, you know what? I can run my business from anywhere. Why don't we just leave? Like, why don't we just go somewhere else? And that was music to my ears because I have been wanting to go someplace else for a long time. (laughs) But um, so when he was on board with it, it just made it that much easier. So I said, okay, where do you want to go? And then we just started looking at options and we looked at Ireland. I know it's kind of funny, but we looked at Ireland. Why Ireland? Uh, Okay, so tell us about the places and why. Right. Yes, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I looked at places where I could go and utilize my board certification from the United States in emergency medicine. And so Ireland was one of the places. However, when I looked into it further, Ireland required a lot for me to get a license to practice medicine there. And they wouldn't tell me how much they would pay me until after I had shelled out the bucks to get the license. And so I was like, no, no. I'm not, I'm not down with that program. So that just eliminated Ireland immediately. And so the next place was 
one of the Virgin Islands, one of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, okay, that would be neat. It'd be close to Jamaica, right? Because I'm from yes. Jamaica originally. And so it would be close to Jamaica, close to Mexico. We love going to Mexico. And so all the things. So I thought that would be the perfect setup. However, when I looked at what the compensation was, I said, nah, I'm not going to work for that much less. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't care if I'm in paradise or not. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so um, that erased that one. And then we were left with New Zealand and Australia. And so New Zealand, Australia would have been perfect. I had originally taken a job in Australia probably about 13 years ago, but there were some circumstances that allowed for us not to be able to actually physically go. You know, so we looked at uh, New Zealand, Australia, and they were fantastic choices. Again, the portability of the credentials. And I had actually, interestingly, taken a job or had interviewed all the way up to actually accepting the job roughly about 13 years ago. And some circumstances in our life at that time did not allow us to be able to go. And so when we looked at Australia this time, we basically noticed uh, that Myself, my husband, and my three children would have been able to go on healthcare visa, but in order for our parents to come with us, we would have to get a grandparents visa. And both Australia and mm-hmm. New Zealand requires a million dollars in assets for the grandparents. Like you can't use your assets for them. Like they have to have their own million dollars in assets. Whoa. Yeah. The re- I mean, and I get why they do it. It's not like malicious or anything, but- their system is such that the elders and everybody's under like a managed healthcare type deal. Like, so government mm-hmm. takes care of them. Right. And so if okay. you're coming as an elder, they don't know what your medical problems are. If they're going to have okay. to like put money into you to like get all this stuff going, they don't want to have to do that for a ton of people. So they weed out the people coming in by making that stipulation, which I mean, mm-hmm. I, I get it. I totally get it. So since we didn't have that circumstance, we said, okay, well, I was looking at a job, but like about four hours from Perth on the West coast of um, Australia. And it was, it seemed like a pretty cool position and it's near the ocean, which is kind of what we wanted and everything. So it would have been great. And then for the New Zealand situation, we have family in New Zealand. So it would have been perfect. We would have been able to be close to family and it, you know, but it just didn't work out. So when we looked at that, we said, well, we're not going to go without them. So this is not going to work. And so that eliminated Australia and New Zealand. And so now we were, we were like, okay, where else can we go? And then Guam popped up on the radar. And so we said, mm. okay, we just look at Guam. And so I just started asking people in my different EM groups and whatnot. I was just asking like, hey, anybody worked in Guam? What's the story with Guam? And nobody had anything negative to say. Okay, okay. well, one guy had a negative comment and his negative comment was, um, well, you know, it was interesting cases, but it was too much weird stuff. Like, I didn't like that. That was his negative comment. So that was that (laughs) depending on who you're talking to. Right. Exactly. So to me, that's not negative. Right. To me, that's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's an invitation. And so basically, you know, having spoken to so many people and always hearing positive reports, it made me realize that this probably was a place that we should go because, you know, why would people not reveal a bad thing about it? Right. I mean, 
everywhere obviously has negatives, but the negatives yes. that, that are here are so like minor, like so minor. I just was like, okay, whatever. So I can't get Amazon. Oh, well, you know what I mean? Like, I can't get it like the next day or the same day. That's not going to break my life. Right. And so yes. those were the kind of things. It was like that. It was like, oh, well, you know, milk is expensive and, you know, gas is expensive. I'm like, okay, well, if I lived in a big city, it'd be the same thing. Right. I mean, so, yes. you know, so the, th so the things that were quote unquote negatives really weren't. And so that bad in hindsight. Exactly. And so therefore I said, okay, I've heard nothing bad from the medical side and I've not heard anything bad from the civilian side. Right. So from the day-to-day -day, everyday life side. And, um, there are people that have gone there, you know, for years and years and years. And, you know, the hospital that I was going to be working is a very new hospital. It was only built six years ago. And so I said, you know what? That's fine. Sounds like I can do it. And so I had a phone interview with my now boss and, you know, we talked through everything. I asked her a bunch of questions and I was like, okay. And then they gave me an offer and took the job. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is October. October, I accepted the job. The next thing that we had to do, so we have three houses. We had a house in Ohio, um, two houses in Michigan. And so we had to get the house cleared in Ohio, get that sold. Then we had to finish remodeling our house that we were living in to get it ready to be sold. Then we had to essentially consolidate three households and get everything shipped from Michigan to Guam. So we you say this like it is easy. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's one of those things like when you when I look back at it, I'm like, wow, I did that. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, I had to obviously do all the things to get my license in Guam so that by the time I was ready for my start date and I arrived here, I would have that thing to be able to actually see patients. So, you know, there was all that stuff, you know, but it was definitely like a team effort because, you know, we had a contractor, we told him what we wanted. We told him everything we needed. He did what he had to do. He got the house ready. And, you know, we have an amazing realtor. She sold the house in two days. Oh, wow. And then the other house, we were able to sell that one pretty easily. The one in Ohio. So it all kind of came together. And then, you know, we did have a couple of things where when we sold the big house, we basically had to move out. So the beginning of January, our stuff went into the containers. So we you know, sent the belongings along beginning of January. Then we had to move out of the house that we, we had to sell in Michigan into the second house, a smaller house in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so we were living in the smaller house and we had to do that until we actually left. So we did that for like a month and two weeks, you know, so that was interesting. And then we had to sell the cars. Oh, tidbit. In case you're ready to like sell everything and move away, just so you know, I, and, and maybe you already knew this, but I didn't know this, but you cannot like just take a car that you have on a lien, like, so a car that you have purchased, but you have payments on or mm -hmm. a car that you have on lease. You can't take it technically out of the country. So, so the cars I, I, couldn't come. <laughs> car, no, so, so this is crazy. Cause literally like we lease and we purchase. So we always have a car that's purchased and a car that's leased. And we usually lease the car that like is going to be the car that I'm driving back and forth to work. 
and we usually buy the minivans, right? So we literally had just changed cars over. So we got the new cars in 2019. So if you know leases, it's usually like a three-year deal. So I wasn't quite done with my X1 lease, oh. right? When we made a decision, mm-hmm. we weren't quite done. And so it was literally like, okay, so I can't take the car. Oh, I have to buy the car. <laughs> I have to take the car. So I ended up having to pay off the rest of the lease on the, the BMW and also on the Odyssey. And then once we had the title, then we could have shipped the cars. But then then we found out that to ship each car would have been $6,000. So we said, you know what? We're just going to sell these cars. So then I got familiar, well, my husband at least, got familiar with Carvana. And I have no no affiliation with Carvana. I don't get any kickbacks or anything. But we used Carvana and we were able to sell three cars with Carvana. So, yeah, we sold... We sold the BMW, we sold the uh, Odyssey, and we had another car. We had a um, a CRV, and we sold a CRV all through Carvana. So literally, they came, they picked up the thing, we sent the things over the um, internet, and they sent us a check. Like it was like, oh wow, that, it was like that easy. And so, so we sold three cars, we sold two houses, we packed up everything and sent it on its way in the beginning of January. Moved into the smaller house. We physically left in the middle of February last year and then came here we stayed in the hotel for like one week until our because we had oh and we also like did our realty search like via like zoom (laughs) zoom or like whatsapp (laughs) so you make this all sound so easy it is easy yeah we looked at these locations we looked at the jobs we looked at the we sold the cars we packed up the house I promise you, Dr. G, that there is something very special about you because that is not easy at all. (laughs) Well, I mean, this did happen over months. I mean, it wasn't like it happened over like a couple of weeks. It happened over months, right? I said October and we didn't leave till (laughs) February. So, I mean, we had months. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. That is quick. But what I want to drive to is, you know, what is it that kind of stimulates just that boldness and you being so brave to just like make these really major decisions actually with so much confidence and in such a good timeline because I'm telling you you're saying it like it's easy I promise you there are so many of us out there who this would be like years-long deliberation to even decide if we're gonna go like what do you think underlies some of that or what could you share about um, what it took to make those decisions. Okay. In all fairness, this is a ramp up, right? Because I am a person who is constantly working on my personal development. And this all started probably, oh goodness, I think it's probably going to be like eight years now, maybe. Mm-hmm. So about eight or nine years ago, I went through what I now see was burnout. And so, you know, I didn't recognize at the time, I didn't really know that was what was happening, but the way that it manifested itself was, you know, I'm a very active person. I've been active ever since I was a child. I literally played all the sports, you know, in Jamaica, everybody plays sports. So I was, I ran track, I did all the stuff. And then when we came to the States, that didn't stop. I continued to do sports and was very active throughout college, everything. And so my level of fitness was always very high. And so um, 
when I had my children, so the, you know, the first one, very active all the way to the end, it's the same thing, all three of them. Matter of fact, the third one uh, was the most active, I'd say, because I think with her, I actually ran a 5k when I was 20, 26 weeks or something crazy. Whoa. And then, I, yeah. And I was like lifting weights and doing all this stuff, like all the way up until I gave birth to her. I mean, she actually, I, re- I did a shift. I was in labor during the shift and then I went upstairs and gave birth to her. So it was very like crazy. Like all my pregnancies were like that. Like they were very crazy. Um, and I was blessed to be healthy throughout them and be very active throughout them. So, you know, after I had her, I did not like appreciate the fact that I was older because I started having my children later on in life. Right. So, you know, by the time I had the third one, I was considered advanced maternal age. And so, mm. you know, which I hated that comment. And I, and I think that was part of that what made me like want to push through no matter what, <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit of like, I want to get, I want to show you kind of thing. So basically what happened is after she was born, I started getting back into activity. And so I did not train to the level that I should have trained. And I just went back into running season. Like, so running season, I gave birth to her in January and running season began like in May. And so I was doing a 5k each month and I wasn't really Mm. training appropriately. And so by like uh, July, I think is when I had the injury. So in July I had an injury, my knee just started hurting me. My right knee just started hurting. And I started having a lot of swelling in my legs. I thought I had a DVT. I even like went mm. and got an ultrasound done just to make sure, <laughs> you know, yeah. an ER doctor is going to think the worst. And so all these things. And so it wasn't getting better. It wasn't getting better. And so I saw my orthopod and, uh, you know, he did a bunch of tests, sent me for a bunch of tests and he took a bunch of fluid off my knee and went to physical therapy, had an MRI done. So months and months are going by. Right. So this is like a mm. long drawn out thing. And so during this time, I am losing range of motion in my leg. I'm not able to work out like I was before. And my right leg, my right thigh was literally atrophying. Like it was it was half the mm. size of my left side. Like it was ridiculous. And I'm, I'm kind of a muscular person. So it's like it was noticeable. And so then, so then, you know, after all these things, you know, MRI is negative. He's tapped my knee like a bunch of times. He sent me to rheumatology, all these things. Right. He's like, finally to the following year, like in June, he says, all right, I'm not going to just going to go in and, and see what's going on in the OR. So then I go to, to the OR, he does arthroscopy on me and he's like, oh my God, your knee looks like the knee of a 60 year old, all this debris and breakdown and your meniscus is torn and all this thing, all these things. And so, mm. yeah, so this, this is something that was not detected at all on imaging. Like, you know, it just got worse. And so then mm-hmm. he cleaned me up and I was all good. And I was like, all right, no more pain. Everything was straight. And so I'm thinking, all right, cool. I'm just going to get back to where I was. I'm just going to work on that. But obviously, if you've gone an entire year and you haven't done the things that have kept your body lean and in shape, then your body's mm-hmm. not going to be leaning in shape, right? So. I was like, <laughs> I was like carrying some extra inches around the waist in particular. <laughs> and so <laughs> I went to go give a talk to the residents one day and I went into the closet to get my favorite suit. And I literally tried to put on the blazer and the buttons had made some kind of understanding with each other with them <laughs> and, the, and the buttonholes that they were no longer going to be, you know, 
betrothed. And so basically like <laughs> I couldn't get the two to come together. And then I tried to put the pants on and I couldn't even get the pants over my hips. And I literally like just fell on the floor and started crying. And I was like, okay, this is not going to work. Something is, is very wrong. Gonna and change. so, oh yeah, I had to change something. And so then I said, okay, usually my, my methodology is basically if there's a problem, it's going to figure out what's the solution for it. So I said, okay, this is a problem. I need to fix it. And so I'm going to find a group where I'm going to get accountability. And so we homeschool our kids for a lot of years up until this year, this year, when we got here, they started going to school, like brick and mortar school. Um, so one of the homeschool moms, uh, she was doing an accountability group for fitness. And so I said, okay, cool. You know, I want to be part of that. And so I joined the group and part of it was not only exercising for 30 minutes, six days a week, but it was also doing personal development every day, which I had not been doing right. That was not a practice mm. of mine. And so mm-hmm. I started to do this. And so as I'm doing this, my mind, of course, is starting to open up wide. And then my body is trimming down. So I'm like really getting into really great shape. And then I realized that that thing that I was doing before I went to work every night, where I was having to talk myself into actually, you know, getting up out of the bed in different increments of movement, and then putting my feet on the floor and taking one step in front of the other to get to the bathroom. And then when I got to the hospital, stop, mm-hmm. you know, to stop white knuckling the steering wheel, you know, to actually like on un- unhook my thumbs and unhook each finger and, and then open the door mm. and put a foot on the, on the asphalt and then the other foot and then actually make moves towards the hospital. You know, that thing, that wasn't normal. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't know that. I didn't realize it, you know, because you're not going to realize stuff like that. Why? Because you see yourself every day, right? It's like when you go to Mm -hmm. your family and they're like, Oh my God, Shaman, what the way you're skinnier? What the way you're fat? Last time I see you were like that. I mean, you're like, dude, I'm the same, but they're like, no, you're different. Right. Cause they're not seeing you every day. Every day there's like a small change that's happening. And then there's a big change that they see as a result, Mm. see you in intervals of time versus every single day. Right. So with the burnout for me, what happened is I didn't even realize that I was having so much fear and so much angst about going into the hospital and serving my patients. Right. Because it was a slow creep. It didn't just happen like right away. And so Mm -hmm. once I recognized it and the only way that I was able to recognize it was because I decided to make a change when that suit didn't fit me. And oh, so wow. it led me down the path of personal development on a regular basis. And then that helped me to recognize that I had a problem in this other area of my life and then make a difference there. And so I'm saying all this story because it is because I have learned how to recognize those items in my life and I can see where mm-hmm. the fear is. That is what propels me to be able to face those fears. So if you were to fast forward some more years, I recognized, so I recognized the burnout. I worked through that. Then Mm -hmm. I got super hooked on businesses, like entrepreneurship, super hooked on that. Like, I love it. (laughs) Love it. Love (laughs) business. And so, you know, it's like, wow, how do I love this thing? And, you know, all the things that I can do when I'm an entrepreneur that I can't do when I'm a doctor, because in medicine, you can't think outside the box. If you think outside the mm-hmm. box, they call you a cowboy or a cowgirl. 
you know, if you're not following the protocols, if you're not, you're not staying with the, you know, the plans of care or the um, recommendations for care, you are considered an outlier. And nobody in medicine wants to be an outlier because that is how you get sued, right? And that's how people mm-hmm. don't back you up when you when you make a decision about a patient care. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a tight, tight role in medicine and you can't expand your thinking. You have to go by whatever people have done before and, you know, or whatever is coming out with the research. Like that's all you can do. Whereas Mm -hmm. in entrepreneurship, you can try all kinds of things. Like you could do whatever, because guess what? If it doesn't work, nobody's dying. Nobody's going Mm -hmm. to die if what you tried doesn't work. And it, it just opens up an entire side of me. Like it just completely exploded my, my passions when I started doing that. And actually it allowed me to start loving medicine again, because there was a time when I literally was like, what's the point of me doing this? I think I should just walk away. Like I got, I was there. I definitely Mm. was there. And so, you know, if it weren't for the personal development and if it weren't for the businesses and that whole side of things, I honestly Mm -hmm. believe that I would have walked away a long time ago from medicine. Like once I figured out that I was burnt out, I think I probably would have just been done. I would have to figure something else out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so it's all of those things that basically allow me to recognize when I have fear. So then, so after the burnout recognition and action steps, the next thing that I recognized was that I have a fear of public speaking. And so people ask me all the time, how is that possible? You speak so well. I get on a stage and I give my whole heart to the audience. I get on a, you know, I get into a a scenario where I'm having to give a presentation and the same thing is true, but I do that afraid. I do it afraid. Mm. And, you know, I have learned over the years and I'm still learning. It's a constant thing that I'm working on because if you talk to anybody who is a professional speaker or who is a teacher of any kind, they will tell you that they are constantly working on their craft. Like you don't, you never stop just like with mm-hmm. medicine. You never stop with CME. The same thing's true. Like you never stop working on your fears, particularly if your fear is a fear of public speaking. So mm-hmm. when I recognized it, and again, there was a whole thing that went along with that sleepless night, the night before the talk, you know, getting up there and just sweating profusely in my underarms, like complete rainstorm happening in the axilla, axilla area, you know, having to wear a blazer because I was embarrassed and I didn't want to embarrass anybody else from the pools of perspiration that were, you know, basically outlining my underarms of my blouse, you know, from the palpitations oh, wow. that were, I mean, intense palpitations that were so intense that I felt as though my heart said, you know what, I'm done with being in a cage. I'm ready to get out and just run for the hills you know, having sweaty Mm -hmm. palms, like all the things, all the physical things, all that surge of sympathetic responses. And then, then when your mind starts kicking in, so I'm there thinking, all right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to trip on that microphone cord. I'm going to fall flat on my face. I might get a Lafort one, two or three fracture. I don't know. And there's going to be blood all over the floor. There's blood on the audience. I'm going to try to get back up and slip and I'm going to break something else. I mean, this is all the things I'm thinking go up to the podium and then I'm going to click on the clicker and no slides are going to show up. I'm going to open my mouth and not a single piece of of a word is going to come out. I mean, this is what I went through every single time. I mean, it didn't stop me from producing, right? Cause that's what we do when we are in Mm -hmm. this category, we produce no matter what, like it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what we're feeling, what we're thinking. We still produce because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. But 
this is what I went through every single time. And so I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. I need to do something about this. And so I decided to put myself on a program of desensitization. And so it was two prong. The first one was mm-hmm. starting the podcast. So I was like, you know what? If I'm feeling this, I know other people are feeling the same thing. And so started a podcast. As you're talking, and- that's what I'm thinking about, that other oh, totally. people can relate to your story. Totally. Mm-hmm. And then you're on a podcast, like in the early days. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I talked to a lot of people about how they deal with fear. I talked about my own fear. And every single time I was struggling with something, I brought it up on a podcast and shared it. And, you know, that was one way. And then the other way was I started to get on stages in front of more people. I figured if I, if you got a peanut allergy, what do you do? You desensitize. If you have a fear of public speaking, what do you do? You speak. And so I was doing Facebook lives. I was just doing anywhere I could get an audience. I would just get there and do it because the more that you face your fear, as long as it's not going to be causing you bodily harm, always have to have that caveat. You will just on the other side of that fear facing situation is always going to be growth. Like it's, it's just inevitable. Like you will always have growth. And so that decision has been over three years now. It's like four years. And so, you know, if I've gotten to the point where I can face the fear of, oh my goodness, I'm going through burnout and I could deal with that. And then I face the fear of what in the world, how can a doctor have a face of fear of public speaking? You know, I was chief resident for crying out loud. I had to speak a Mm -hmm. lot in front of people and I Mm -hmm. still, still had that fear was still, it still was a battle for me. And if I could do it, then I know that any fear that comes up, I could definitely tackle that. And so to your question of how did it come, it was so easy. It's because of practice. Mm. Oh, wow. I think that is incredible <laughs> that you've been able to get to that point. You know, I think I've unfortunately ran into a lot of people who are certainly capable of getting to that point, but just haven't quite gotten there yet. You know, I don't know if you remember so much about that phase of just being stuck and kind of not knowing what that next best move is for you. I I remember being in that place and you speak to, you know, that um, situation and how you've gotten over that and now facing the fear, but it's a really hard position when you're, when you're kind of in that particular spot and just adding like all the stressors that we have going on in the world today, even if we're talking to some of our other healthcare professionals, healthcare, at least here in the mainland U S is not in a great place at all. Um, in general, you know, uh, the pandemic we've talked about before, and I think some of the mental health stressors that are really coming up on us now are really weighing people down to just be able to kind of find that that strength and that courage and face that fear the way that you've been able to talk about so eloquently. So I really love that you share that story. And I feel there's so many people who will be able to relate to that. And I hope be able to draw strength from you doing that and speaking so honestly about your journey to that. I hope so. I mean, and and the thing about it is that we tend to really inflate the power that decisions have over us, right? Because, Mm. you know, we in medicine, I'm just saying a blanket we, because not everybody is in this situation, but 
a lot of times what happens is we are stuck because we feel like there aren't any other options because maybe we owe $300,000 in loans, for example, Mm -hmm. and we're thinking, well, if we walk away or if, if we practice medicine differently, I mean, and there are many ways to do that. If you practice medicine differently, then we're not going to be able to pay that back, right? Which is a total fallacy, total fallacy. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, so once you realize that you are not stuck, then facing your fear is super easy, super easy. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes it's just a matter of asking the right questions and surrounding yourself with the right people who are not in the same boat as you. And when Mm -hmm. I say that, I mean, I'm not saying that you should not associate with other people within medicine, but what I'm saying is maybe associate with, or maybe even just counsel with someone who has figured a way to do it without sacrificing their soul. I love that. (laughs) I absolutely love that. And I feel like that has been, been such a process, but I think it's getting better now. I don't know, at least what are your thoughts on I, I feel I see this kind of mass exodus from medicine happening at this point in time and not to call out medicine as our profession, but just, you know, people not necessarily being fulfilled or not living the life that, you know, they've dreamed of, they've thought of and, you know, making the very strong decisions to kind of walk away from things that no longer serve them, including careers um, that no longer serve them. Are you recognizing that trend as well? Oh, yes, I've seen it. And they're they're trying to quantify it at the moment, but they do call it, what do they call it? The great migration or something like that. But it, but basically <laughs> it it happened, it happened uh last year. And you know, there's there are a lot of reasons, multi-layered reasons why that occurred. But I think that a lot of us, what happens is we'd have nothing outside of medicine. This is where the fault lies because we were very Machiavellian before we went into medicine, right? You had to be like this Renaissance person who, you know, you know how to juggle and you know how to read books and, you, and you're in the, mm-hmm. this club and that club and you played sports and you got good grades. Like you had to be this well-rounded person with hobbies, with interests, et cetera, et cetera. Then you go to medical school and it's like, Everything just gets thrown to the wayside. Nobody continues. Most people, I'm not saying this is a blank statement. Most people don't continue those hobbies, those things that made them awesome, that filled their, their hearts and souls. And so they just focus on medicine, right? And then what happens? You go and you get an attending job or you start your practice and you're, you're out there. You're given to the people like you that you set out to do, which is perfect, right? That's who we are. We're altruistic in nature. And so you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving your soul over to medicine and you are not reaching back to that person that you were before. You're not getting those, those things that made you happy, that made you fulfilled. And so if something happens in medicine, okay, like a pandemic where things just fall completely apart, you fall apart too. Cause now you're the thing that you identify with, you no longer have that. You have nothing mm-hmm. else to fall onto. And so, yeah, you will walk away. You will feel like mm-hmm. disappointed. Like it's like you're in a relationship and the person decides, I just want to be, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And you have no idea why. Why? Because they focused everything on you. And when you change, they're like, okay, I guess I'm out because 
<laughs> you're not who you who you were when we first started. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this is what happens. And so I don't know if walking away is the complete answer. Um, I understand that it is a answer. Um, and walking away now doesn't mean that you cannot come back, right? I mean, so it's not a terminal act. I mean, I guess it's a mm-hmm. term- terminal act if you you def- definitely like give up your your licensures and your credentials, I suppose. But you can always return. It's not a terminal act. And I think that's part of what people need to understand and embrace that it's okay. Yeah. You can pivot. You yeah. can change. You can morph into something else. You can go yeah. do that thing and come back to this thing. I mean, life is not like a straight road. It's like all over the place, right? I mean, you got paths mm-hmm. that are turning and winding. You got paths that are linear. You got up and down, uphill and downhill paths. I mean, it's not a box of, mm-hmm. you know, it, you, you can step outside of it for a little bit and then return to it like you can. Or you can step out and create your own box within the general vicinity and have it be related. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like people do feel trapped. And I think the student loan burden is a big thing for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that people tend not to have certain principles when they come out. And And this is not any judgment, but I feel like you you do have this feeling that you sacrificed your 20s, right? And, you know, depending mm-hmm. on what you decide to do, if you decide to do, like, some very specialized thing, then you're talking about, like, 10, 12 years of, of training, right, from beginning to end, sometimes more. And so you've sacrificed for so long, and then now you come out and you're earning, quote, unquote, real money, which we could have a whole other conversation about that. <laughs> um, oh, you know, you're having you're earning, quote, unquote, real money. And then you're like, OK, I'm not going to sacrifice anymore. I'm going to start living. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't live. All I'm saying is you should try to live like a resident for another five years. Like people look at me cross eyed when I say this, but I'm telling you. You will be so happy in the end and you will not be bound by the platinum handcuffs or gold handcuffs or whatever you want to call them. Because if you've set aside some funds for you to have a little enjoyment in there as you're sacrificing, so you put money away so you take you a nice vacation, you know, not killing yourself all the way, right? But your expenses are lower. Maybe you don't buy a brand new car. Maybe you drive the car you already have that works just fine that you have no car payment on. Maybe you don't buy like the ginormous house or maybe you just get a condo or something until you have all your stuff paid off. You can literally pay off that $300,000 if you tried and lived below your means in like two years. You could do that. Mm. So Mm -hmm. you do that. You sacrifice for those two years. You pay Uncle Sam off. Then you're free. You don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, I am stuck in this rut. And there's nothing I can do. You're not stuck. You're no longer stuck. <laughs> yes. So I, I love that you say that. I actually say I'm not a tree. If God wanted me to be stuck in the same place forever, he would have made me a tree. There you go. Um, <laughs> is what I always say in response to that. So I completely share 
I, your school of thought there that I think we're sometimes just crippled more by the fear of what we think might happen or the stories we tell ourselves yes. of what might happen than the actual reality of what is going on or what could or what's taking place currently in our lives. I had another wonderful interview uh, with a guest and uh, a quote she used that has stuck with me is, what is fact and what is the story that you're telling yourself? And you will be very successful if you are able to separate the two. So I really like that. Well, Dr. G, uh, we are winding down with some of the things I wanted for us to talk about. We've talked about your bold move to Guam. You've talked about your family, you homeschooling your three children for some time, talked about your career in emergency um, medicine and this fallacy that, you know, we're kind of bound to some of these big decisions that we've made at certain points in our lives that no longer serve us. And then we've talked about uh, podcasting and you being a thriver of burnout, which I just love. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> love that. So I want us to start kind of tying this conversation together with a nice big bow for our millennials. If there is a, I don't know, a mountaintop that you could get on in this world. And if you speak from that mountaintop, everyone can hear you. What is it that you would say to millennials who are trapped kind of in this, this really tough space in their lives and making some of these big decisions that are going to have major consequences for them regardless going forward? So the number one advice would be the financial one, right? So which is get free, get financially free. And the way that you do that, like I was saying before, is if you have to like live lean for a few years, maybe take some locum assignments and like, you know, stash that cash to pay off your loans, do it. Like get free as soon as you possibly can. From there, that baseboard is going to basically allow for you to be able to spring as high, as far as you want. The second thing is always realize that you have what you need in order to negotiate. So don't always mm. accept the first contract, the first offer, because you're the one with the MD degree or DO degree, and you have the ability and the skill set that the person on the other side of the contract requires and needs. So you always can negotiate. I didn't realize that of my first position and I've come to realize that, you know, now. So definitely those two things would be the biggest ones. And then the third thing I would say is remember who you were before you went into medicine, go back and explore those things that you love and help that to help you through, because that is crucial. You know, medicine alone cannot be your identity. Mm, love it. Love it. Well, Dr. G, thank you so much for joining us on Millennial Health and sharing all this information uh, with us. We are certainly going to be pulling out some of these quotes because you dropped some gems on us here today for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so as I mentioned, I follow you online, um, but I would love for our listeners to also start following you and benefiting from a lot of the information uh, that you share. Could you tell us how we could do that or how you prefer that we do oh, that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So on um, all the platforms, so that would be Instagram, Facebook, and 
um, LinkedIn. I am Charmaine Gregory, MD. Um, I think I am just Charmaine Gregory on TikTok. I'm still exploring the TikTok space. It's kind of fun. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my TikTok is is not really niche down. It's like all over the place. It's like all the stuff that I love and I like, I don't care. Everybody keeps saying you need to niche down, but I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> um so yeah so one that. of them has got to be just fun oh yeah absolutely absolutely and and i think feel like that one is the most forgiving that one is the most real in my opinion but um and then so the podcast itself if you want to if you want to listen to that it's called fearless freedom with dr g and um that's on every, any listening platform you can find that but yeah absolutely if you if you need to reach out if you have a question or something um i'm more than happy and any of those, you can just DM me uh, and I will definitely get back to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Millennial Health Podcast. Though my goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health issues, I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. I hope this information was beneficial to you. And if so, please subscribe to the Millennial Health Podcast and share with your friends. Please also leave us a review. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Dr. J. Sheree, D-R-J-A-Y-S-H-E-R-E-E.